welcome to Rock Paper Swords, the historical action and adventure podcast. My name is Matthew Harfey. My name is Stephen A. Mackay. We're both best-selling historical fiction authors, and together we chat about all things historical and anything that could fall under the banner of action and adventure in books, film, TV and games. Oh, and we also talk about rock music from time to time. Each episode, we're going to cover different aspects of history, from the quirky to the almost unbelievable. We'll also talk about writing, not only with each other, but also with guest authors. And on today's episode, we're going to focus on two things that our characters often come into contact with. One that gives life, and the other that takes it. The first is something that's close to my heart, as can be seen by my ever-expanding waistline. Food! If more of us valued food and cheer and song above hoarded gold, it would be a merrier world. Said J.R.R. Tolkien. Ah, well, he was a wise man. I'm I'm not surprised. Very wise. I'm not surprised it was um, Tolkien that said that. And for a moment, I thought you turned into a wise man. Poet. A poet, yeah, poetic. (laughs) Well, the second thing that we're going to talk about is something that our readers will more readily think of when they pick up one of our books. Not least of which because um, these things often appear on the covers of our books. And I'm talking about weapons. We'll chat about some of the common weapons used in the early medieval period of our books um, and what weapons that we actually own ourselves. But first, let's talk about food. In historical fiction, food or drink is often used to evoke a sense of time and place. Even action and adventure heroes need to stop and have a bite to eat every now and then. And as everyone knows what it's like to taste and smell food, describing what characters are consuming is a wonderful way to transport readers. And as the food and drink people ate and and drank in the past is often quite different from what we can find nowadays, it can really conjure up the sense of a different alien time. But using food in historical fiction is not without its pitfalls, right, Stephen? Correct. Take potatoes. Potatoes? I don't know if anybody's read the book Taliesin by Stephen Lawhead. Oh, I've read some books by Stephen Lawhead, but I haven't read that one. But um, I know He's quite a, quite a big author. I think I read uh, this particular series when I was about 13 or 14. And He's a very good writer. It. I think very good. Um, um, anyway, I, d- anyway. I don't know now because I haven't really read them as an adult for a while. Neither have I, but, actually. That's well, when I read them when I was younger, I really, really loved them. Um, but the, this particular book, Taliesin, it's set in England. It's in Arthurian medieval. England. Yeah, but it's yeah, not even yeah, medieval. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's before medieval yeah. times. Uh, so it's ancient times. And it has them eating potatoes. So he's, 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 he's American, isn't he, um, Stephen Lawhead? I think he must be, actually. I think he's either I, Canadian or American, I think, but he's definitely not, yeah. from, not from Britain. Well, I mean, we all know, well, we don't really do, we, unless you're a historical fiction author or a fan. <laughs> Nobody really knows this, but potatoes were not around in England until about 1586 when they were brought over from America. This so is true. If you're reading a historical fiction book, set in ancient times in England, or Roman times or whatever. Or any time before 1586. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, and they're eating potatoes, then it's going to throw you straight out of the scene. Potatoes, and, as Sam Gamgee said famously. Yeah, I mean, that's one thing that that straight away made me think about, um, you know, when, when reading Lord of the Rings, it feels very historical. Obviously, it's fantasy, yep. but and it's written by 
J.R.R. Tolkien, who uh, was really obviously stuff. newest stuff, yep. but he did throw in potatoes, and I think he did it on purpose. So he's got potatoes and he's got rabbits and things, different things that I just think probably he did it on purpose to say this is obviously fantasy. fantasy he knew, yeah, I never he thought of that. that. Potatoes didn't didn't exist in in Britain. So when he talks about you know Middle Earth being kind of like a fictional version of some ancient Scandinavian Scandinavia or Britain or whatever. I mean yeah. because potatoes come from the New World, as you say. So that's a good point. I never thought of that before, Matthew. Well done. Thank you. <laughs> I'm full of great points like that. <laughs> so yeah, those those are things that came over from the New World. It's just interesting. So well, um, there's another one uh, in my own book. Well it's not in my own book, thankfully. But uh when I was writing I'm sure it was Wolf's head I was writing and I had a rainbow trout in it. Something catches a rainbow trout and then join this rainbow trout. And my friend Billy told me, no, actually, they never had rainbow trout in this country. Again, it was brought over from the New World. So it was brown trout over here. So it's funny you should say that, but um, I remember reading, I'm not going to name the author because they're still around and I know them, but I read a book by someone set in the 11th century and they mentioned a grey squirrel in England. And, of course, grey squirrels famously brought over from America as well. They didn't have grey squirrels in in Britain um, until, I don't know when they were brought over, but they, they are American as well. Yeah. So basically all of these species, loads of species of, of animal and fruit and trees and flowers and all sorts of things have been brought over from either far from Asia or from, from the New World. But if it's from the Americas, of course... Because if it's from Asia, you could say, well, potentially, possibly somebody, yeah, the Romans their, might have been there, you know, brought it over or something. But um, like spices and things, you know, and rare spice or, yeah. or herb or something. But but uh, but when you're talking about things that we know actually come from South or North America before the 15th century, it's not happening. So yeah, so basically, there's all these things and anything that that's um, before the uh, well, whenever it was like late 15th century, wasn't it when? Um, Columbus and then you know the, the the Europeans went over I'm not going to say discovered America because obviously that's a great point of contention and some people would say oh but the Vikings were there early the Africans so, read yesterday yeah, somewhere. Well, well maybe but the Vikings definitely were over in the, in the north yeah. of North America um sometime around 9th 10th century something like that so you know, it's a possibility that somebody brought back something but some of these things we talk about I think potatoes come from South America um so there's no chance. But that's, and, uh, you bring up a good point there. Uh, yeah. Received wisdom would be that potatoes were brought back in 1586 or whatever, but perhaps the Vikings were there earlier, who knows? And we're talking about rabbits and hares. And you mentioned this other day, I don't really know anything about rabbits or hares, but apparently they were, until recently, it was thought that they were brought here by the Normans, but they found... Yeah that they were probably here with the Romans in the first century. This is Rabbits, true, yeah. I'm talking about. Yeah, no, so it's, it's, it's true. So, it's, so I, I've been very careful in all of my books, which are set in the Dark Ages or the early medieval period, not to mention rabbits, because I think there's no, there's definitely no written evidence of them existing. There's lots of drawings and things of hair. So hairs were definitely much more common. Yeah, they're native. And, and I think the reality is that if rabbits had escaped from captivity from Roman farms or whatever, they breed so quickly that there would have been thousands yeah. of rabbits everywhere. Well, millions fable, of rabbits. Fame, sorry for yeah. breeding quickly. 
so I don't so I, I personally think it's probably true that they didn't really have many or any here before the Normans because I think otherwise people would have written about it and mentioned them. Well, yeah, the thing, the source I read said that they were kept as the rabbit was kept as a pet, and apparently they know this because they found uh-huh. its own poop in its digestive system. So I don't know how they found all this. Oh, so um, there were rabbits here, but they reckon they were just pets of the Romans. Yeah, and they know they were a pet because they were eating their own poop, so they must have been kept in a cage or a hutch. No, okay. Which makes sense, perfect sense. Uh, but then I read. Another source that said apparently all rabbits and hares eat their own poop because that's how <laughs> that's this how they get their nutrition. Stuff. Well, I found it extremely interesting. It's well, I knew that guinea pigs, enough. guinea pigs do that as well. Well, I never that's knew that. I never knew guinea pigs. I mean, I've, I've had dogs that eat their own poop in the past, but I think that's just so they don't get around for uh, pooping yeah. in the, the carpet. But um, guinea pigs do it as well, and I believe. Well, I know guinea pigs are from South America as well. So we're back. We're full circle. Right. So, and if you go to Ecuador and places in South America, or I, I think in Peru as well, but I know I'm pretty sure that in Ecuador and places like that, where which maybe Central America, but anyway, around there where they've got, I'm kind of making up now. This is kind of half remembered information from I've heard, so I could be wrong. So anybody who thinks I'm wrong, you can you know tweet us or write. Well, I'm sure com- they will comment comment on Facebook. But um, if you go to certain countries in South or Central America, I think probably South America, you'll find um, you can buy guinea pigs in the supermarkets, like, you know, frozen guinea pigs or whatever to eat because they eat them. They are right. a, staple, a staple food in certain South American countries. So you'll find them like it, like people eat rabbit. Um, yeah, people I used suppose. to eat rabbits a lot yeah. in, in, the, in Britain. And when I lived in Spain, um, years ago, when I first moved to Spain in the 80s, um, and, and still now, I think rabbits are, are, are very commonly eaten. And a traditional Spanish paella, which is very famous, um, is not with all the fish and everything. The traditional one is rabbit and chicken um, meat in the rice dish of the paella, which is delicious, my favourite. So, well, I was going to ask you, have you eaten rabbit then? I've never tried it. Oh, yeah, yeah, loads of times. Yeah. So in Spain, it's really common. And I've, I've had paella with rabbit many times. Yeah, it's good. And you can eat hair. Of course, people used to eat hair a lot in the UK as well. So my dad's one of my dad's favourite things when he was younger. He said they used to get jugged hair, which was a thing. But I think it's just one of those things that's fallen off of the radar. People don't eat hair or rabbit now. Well, they're um, too cute. Just because they're too cute, but they're tasty. So something else that came from the New World that um, I was uh, researching a little bit earlier was and again is a staple in the European diet and something that people and actually is in the movie version of Lord of the Rings, one of the Peter Jackson movies, is tomatoes. So tomatoes, so I know I was saying before about you know them eating potatoes. I don't think it's mentioned in the books, but there's definitely a scene with the king of Gondor, father of Boromir and and that lot, eating eating tomatoes. But yeah, tomato again comes from yeah. South America. And I remember him eating those actually now that you say that because he's, he's got it all dribbling down yeah, his chin. Yeah, it's very memorable. <laughs> and um, and it's interesting because the, the whole thing, so the, the word tomato, I was looking this up, actually comes from, um, I guess it's from North America actually because it's from the, the Aztecs. Um, and um, I think they're from Mexico and the Aztecs, Mexico actually is, is North America, isn't it? I think, but um, I get confused with the geographical things but yeah mexico is is part of north america and then you've got central america and then you've got south america anyway but from the americas but the word tomato um i I can't remember it's from it comes from the aztec word tomatl 
um, which then in Spanish became tomate, which is was taken over um, back over to Europe. And um, I was looking, if I can just find the thing that I was looking at earlier about the history of the tomato. Um, there was some interesting stuff. They were originally, um, they were domesticated as plants you know, for food in, in America by the Aztecs and, and whoever came before the Aztecs um, and eaten, eaten widely. And then they were brought back over to, to Europe. Um, but for a long time, they were only used as um, ornamental plants. And they were actually put on like tables as like ornaments because they're right, so, so sort of pretty. Yeah. You know, so the tomato and, is the kind of flower. Yeah, the, well, the, the, yeah, the tomato would be like the sort of centerpiece or yeah. whatever, because yeah. people thought they were poisonous, because they're actually right. from the same. It's interesting because I was reading about all this. They're from the same. Um, they're they're part of the um, belladonna family, and right, okay. so is the potato. So oh. is the potato, and apparently the potato greens or bits of the potato are, can be poisonous. Right. And so are the greens of tomatoes. Apparently, they've got um, different things in, which I can't remember what. Tomatine, funnily enough. But anyway, yeah. So they have got bits of them that are a bit bit poisonous. And then on top of that, apparently the tomatoes have got such high acidity content that when they were put onto pewter plates, the lead leached out of the pewter, and people actually got lead poisoning. And so people <laughs> did get ill. <laughs> after eating tomatoes and so for a long time in europe they stopped eating them and they were called um they they knew them i'm trying to find the, the name of what they called them. i think it's called something like wolf apple or something like that um because they uh because people thought them as being as poisonous well belladonna certainly features in my books yeah so it's the also wolf peach yeah it's the <laughs> botanical name botanical name is lycopersicon esculentum um, it translates as wolf peach because it was round and luscious and wolf because it was erroneously considered poisonous so there you go and yet wolves aren't poisonous no but <laughs> no this is true but wolf's bane is but um i suppose all right yeah so i think they thought they were all that same sort of you know so from the deadly nightshade family yeah so um yeah so they were brought back in like the, the the early 16th century by Cortes. He discovered them growing in Montezuma's gardens. He brought seeds back to Europe. But yeah, ornamental curiosities. And um, the original one's probably not red either. Oh, but that's what I was wondering. They're probably greener. Some... Yellow, apparently. Yeah, the green ones, apparently, they've, they've got more of this poisonous stuff in oh, them. Oh, right. Okay, so don't eat those ones. Apparently not. But I've eaten green tomatoes in Spain. They use certain um, types of dish. They, they use green tomatoes in, so... And you get okay. these fried green tomatoes in the States in certain well, that's a movie. states of America. Yeah. So yeah. I don't know if now it's just the case. Anyway, but interesting thing. But again, so if you read a book that's set before 1500 or so, um, and it's not in set in the time of the Aztecs or, or the Incas or somewhere in South America or North America, then you um, it's, 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 it's wrong. There are no tomatoes. It's bollocks, basically. <laughs> It's bollocks, yeah. But it's funny it's when you think if you think about everything we eat now, you know, chips and tomatoes are like, you know, potatoes and tomatoes are two of the biggest staples. You know, say eat something healthy, you say I'll have a salad, got tomatoes in it. Yep. You know, eat something stodgy, I'll have some chips, potatoes. <laughs> so it's like everything that we eat pretty much is, is you know, lots of thoughts. It's it's interesting. I mean, it was interesting seeing that apparently it became more and more popular the tomato when um pizzas 
um, were invented in the late 19th century in Italy. And suddenly the tomato became more uh, more, more popular as well. As so you need it for the sauce, don't you? You need it. You need it. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> well, we've talked about how um, tomatoes were thought to be poisonous and could potentially kill you with leaching lead out of um, pewter plates. But it's much more likely in our books that our characters would actually be hurt or killed by weapons. So let's move on and talk about some of the most common weapons in the early medieval period. Quite sexy, aren't they? They are quite sexy. Do you think that's why we end up putting them on so many of the covers of our books? Exactly. I mean, they're not really sexy, but <laughs> <or> sexy. <laughs> sexy. I like it. I like, I like it. So. Fun. Yeah, nice. So the Seax or the Sax, I don't know how it's pronounced really. I used to think it's pronounced Seax, but yeah, S-E-A-X. Yeah, I just assumed it was Sax. Yeah, I think it is probably Sax. And so is it true that that's where the name, where the Saxons get their name? Is it from that single bladed or single sided blade knife that they carried? I don't know. Because I have read that. I've read that. Yeah, I've read that. I think it's I think it's probably true, possibly true. I think but it's I don't possibly know. part of it. Yeah, and it does make you wonder where they is came it, from. Is it chicken, chicken and egg um, thing? Yeah, but, but are, are the weapons named after the people or the people after the weapons? I don't know. But the sacks, yeah, it's the sort of straight, long, or, or I suppose not always long knife, but sort of yeah, big, they're quite big short. Knife. I think they're, like, they're kind of in between a dagger and a short sword, I suppose. Yeah, yeah, I suppose the long... I mean, you get the longest ones are, are Langsacks, which are a bit later in history, a bit after hours. I think I've mentioned one or two a couple of times just because I like the idea. And they're basically like a short sword. I think they found one in um, the Thames. There's a famous one. I think it's... Is it Bernorth's, um Sacks, which is about... I don't know how long. I'm just trying to think about... Probably the blade's about 40 centimetres long or something. It's quite long. So it's sort of like a... You know, it's bigger than a knife. Yeah, remember, we can't see you. I know. Well, that's why I'm sort of doing it for myself, to be able to see if I can, you know, see how long it is. <laughs> so about this book. Okay, okay I'm going to have a look now, because I find it's in, found in 10th century. It's uh, so yeah, not found in past, 10th century. It's past my period. Uh, yeah, it's past my period too, but I like to do some I like to do some proper research. You know, I don't like to just, um, just research the one minute of time that I'm involved in. I it do. was found... I know you do. Oh, I honestly do. That's joking aside, that's the way my brain works. I can only research, yeah, because I forget stuff. Uh, so I just research the period that I'm kind of writing in. So to, to digress from the sax thing, although I have got some information about the sax that I'll tell you in a minute, but to digress from that, um, I agree with you. I, I, I'm similar, and I've actually learnt to my... Um, uh, to my chagrin, I think is a, is a word that I could use to describe it. But yeah, I've learned that it's actually not always great that because when you're writing a series of books, I'll study like, you know, the, the moment I'm writing about and then in the next book discover that the king that I mentioned actually has children that I'd forgotten to include because they didn't get mentioned in the history until, you know, a couple of years later when they've grown up and then usurp the king, the father or whatever. And, and you I'm can't like, go back and change it then? Can't really go back and change it, but you can sort of work somehow try and work people in. But yeah, I've, I've basically what I'm saying is my lack of knowledge of the history is not always great. Well, there's too much <laughs> to learn, so I think as long as it's a good story, this is probably for another day. But this yeah. is obviously how we both work. 
yeah we definitely need to that, that's definitely something for another so yeah jot that down we'll 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 set that aside and we'll have a, have a proper conversation about that another time but yeah so the the sacks i was telling you about the sacks of Bagnoth or Bagnoth. It was found in the Thames. It's also known as the Thames Scrammer Sacks. It's from the 10th century single edge knife. Um, it's found uh, in the estuary of the Thames in 1857. It's now in the British Museum. Um, and it is 72.1 centimeters long with, um, with a width of 38 millimeters. So, so it's just over, just over two feet. Yeah, and it's nearly nearly a kilo. I think that includes the the, the, the handle as well. So I think the yeah. blade is probably about 50, 40, 50 centimeters long, something like that. Um, but yeah, it's a it's a pretty nice looking thing. Yeah, the blade's fifty five centimeters long, and it's got runes on it. So it's, it's a really nice weapon. It actually, sounds similar to one I've got, which is based on Sting from the Lord of the Rings movies. Well, yeah, okay. So is that in length but, anyway, isn't uh, isn't. A, so isn't Sting a short sword? It's, uh, yeah, exactly. It's, but... So it's about, well, remember, it's for hobbits. So to a hobbit, I suppose it's a bastard sword or something because hmm. it's so small. But uh, it's got runes on it. Uh, it's quite a nice wee piece. I got it really cheap on eBay about 20 years ago. But it's about the same length and it feels kind of really comfortable to hold. Obviously, I'm not an expert in using swords or anything like that, but it feels like you could you know, do you well in a fight. Have you have you done any um, any sword fighting? No, not at all. Uh, especially not with that one because it was cheap on eBay. It's actually incredibly sharp. Right. Uh, usually, when you buy well back then, anyway, I don't know about now, but it used to be if you bought them uh, from a reputable dealer, they would have uh, blunt blades. Yeah. So most of the ones I've got have got blunt blades, but this one in particular is actually razor sharp. Wow. And it would really do some damage if. Uh, in the wrong hands. Yeah. So I, I haven't done any proper um, sort of like reenactment style or, or fighting with replica weapons from, from the period, but I did do um, some fencing way back All when. Right, okay. Um, probably, I was thinking, it must have been after I started writing the first um, the first of my books, but um, probably about 20 years ago, maybe just under 20 years ago or something like that. Um, yeah, we used to go to Bath, the University of Bath, and, and joined like a fencing club there and did like the intro bit and then stayed for a few months, probably about a year I was doing it. But um, it was great fun, but it was incredibly tiring and really, I mean, you, I learned I learned how shit I was at fencing, <laughs> um, but um, it was it was definitely interesting. And it, you, you do learn about about parrying and, and stuff like that. And yeah, how, feet how, movement and things it, like that. Absolutely. Yeah, and how how important it, it, it all is about the distance and timing and meter and everything. And balance, and but um, very different from actual real fighting, I think. Yeah, especially with a heavier yeah. sword, that's much more delicate, I suppose. Fencing. It was really useful, actually, for the writing. I found, um, even though the styles don't properly equate to the styles of fighting that people you know would use in the time of our books, it gives you an idea. Definitely gives you a feel and an idea of sort of the movement and the speed and the amount of you know the amount of physical. Um, exertion that it is. Yeah. Uh -huh. I don't think people realise just how hard it is to actually fight for that long holding yeah. these really heavy weapons. It's it's not so much, because even the, the, the sabres that you use in um, in fencing, they're not heavy. I mean, they're, they're a few hundred grams, but it's, it's the it's the stance. You have to, you have to be sort of semi-crouched and so your legs are bent all the time. Um, and, you, and obviously you're concentrating a lot and it's very, very fast, explosive 
movements forwards and backwards and you you're also you have to wear protection because even yeah, though you're only your face mask and, and you're wearing multiple layers as well protecting your, your body um because even though and a glove you have to wear a glove because if you get hit in the hand or, or in the, you, you really hurt so um <laughs> you even though they're blunt you know they're blunt and they're thin blades and everything you know you're not going to lop something off, yeah, with, a, with, off. A, with a fencing saber but you'll let me will break someone's finger or you know if you whack it and but um, even the a sword like that that's really light mm. after you've been holding your arm out for two minutes it's going to feel as heavy as anything well yeah probably i mean if the, the fights normally don't take very very long but the um for me it was just the 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 i mean i'm not a skinny guy and not very fit but you know it was it was the forwards and backwards you know moving yeah. and the, the thing and all the muscles that ache afterwards the legs your legs are just knackered and you just yeah, you're drenched in sweat because you're wearing uh-huh. all these layers and but um great fun though it was it was good definitely worth doing since we're called rock paper swords i should probably mention that bruce dickinson from iron maiden was an olympic fencer for great britain you should mention that you should so not because... only a great singer he's uh also excellent uh, fencing. Well, all I've got to do now is, apart from obviously become a millionaire and sing better, um, is to learn to fly commercial jets as well. And then, you know, I can just pretend to be to be Bruce Dickinson. I thought you were actually going to start singing Run to I the could. Hills or something there. I could run. No, I'm not going to do it. I can't. <laughs> I, run to the Hills is too high. I, I, we used to do it with my band, actually. Um, right, okay. Years ago. Um, we used to run to the Hills and we used to do Hallowed Be Thy Name. And um, Hallowed Be The Name is amazing. And I do remember a friend of mine coming to see us play um, and afterwards put on Facebook and said that we performed Hallowed Be The Name better than Iron Maiden, which I can tell you right now is not true. Uh-huh. But, I'll bet um, it wasn't true. Nothing it, it, against your band, but... Definitely wasn't true, but we did it. We did do. We did do justice. I don't justice. think. I don't think there's many pub bands that would do. Um, you know, it's impressive. I, that would definitely make you sit up and take notice. Yeah, we did. We did the trooper as well. We did the trooper, right. and I had the big flag, and I'd waved, and I'd do the Brilliant. whole intro bit and do the flag and everything. So <laughs> pub, pub. You know, we'd be playing like in a little pub, and maybe 20, 30 people watching us, and we'd be waving the flag the on. You know, <laughs> good stuff. You take my life, and I'll take yours too. Do the whole thing. It was great. Great fun. Good Very days. historical song there as well. Hey, absolutely. And funnily enough, it's all about the um, the Charge of the Light Brigade, isn't yeah. it? And, um, yep. Yeah, I've been researching a bit of 19th century um, cavalry just this week. But I'm nice. not going to go into more detail. But, um, yeah. Secrets, is it? Not secrets, but, you know, we'll spare that for another day. Okay, okay. So moving on to, so we talked about the sacks. I think we, we talked for quite a while about the sacks and um, you've got a, a short sword, you said. Um, talking, I mentioned that on the cover of some of our books, we've got weapons. Um, I've got on Wolf of Wessex, I have an axe, which yes. um, is a very big replica of um, a very big um, Viking axe. It's probably not 100% historically accurate. but Well, this um, is what I was going to ask you. If I remember right, that's a double-headed axe. No, no, it's not. No, it's a is single. It no, no, it's um, it's. Oh, sorry, I'm thinking of John Gwynn's. I'm thinking of one of John Gwynn's books. Well, no, no, because I would never go for the double-headed axe. And this well, that's is... what I was wondering if it was. No, no. Period no. correct. No, it, it, well, it is. It's sort of period correct. It's probably. I think it's. I think it's about a hundred years later than right. the, than I'm writing okay. about. But it's still a Viking axe, and it's based. The head is the head shape is based on on a Viking axe. Um, the 
if people have seen it, the actual um, the haft of it, the wooden haft is carved with some runes. Yeah, and the actual that, head though. is designed with with a with some sort of swirly um, artistic Viking style Norse. Um, I can't remember like knot work and things. And that was done by a guy called Chris Bailey. Um, who's the he runs the um the Facebook group for the Bernard Cornwell fan club BCFC? Yeah, and I sort of um was chatting with him. He was doing some axes, I saw him doing these axe um modifications for people like uh, making them look really nice and and sort of changing the um varnishing them with different colors and 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 carving runes and things into them. So I contacted him and said, you know, would he would he consider doing something? And I, I did that first with him. We went through a long process. I've got a whole um, blog post describing it. Also, maybe we can put that in the in the notes. The actually, notes, if yeah. it's in the show notes, if someone wants to go and look at it. Um, but he has a whole description of how he went about that with an interview with Chris and everything. It was really good. And I didn't know at the time if the publishers were going to allow me to have that on the cover because I put forward to them the idea that I'd have this axe on the cover, and they were, I think, originally they were a bit snooty about the idea. <laughs> I don't think they liked the idea. They might be liked to use their own cover artists. I don't know. It's more the fact that they just were, I just don't know. They just were like, mm, axe on the cover. I don't know. It's going to, anyway, but then they sort of came up with some sample cover ideas and they weren't great. And I sent them a photo of the axe. <laughs> and then the next thing I know, boom, it's all done. It's like, great. Yeah. My daughter took the photo. I was holding the axe in front of a green sheet in the, the hanging over the, the shower rail yeah. in, the, in the in the bathroom. My daughter Real professional stuff. Real professional stuff. I sent them that, and then they the next thing, boom, they do their magic and put a nice background and the font and all the rest of it. And I suppose great. it sounds generic describing it and acts yeah. against the background of it's trees, isn't it? Yeah, I mean the thing is, it's Forest. the character, the, the character in the book, Dunstan. It's basically that's his axe. You know, I describe it in the book, and so you know the, the runes have a significance and everything. Um, I never go into that detail um, in the book, but it does say there's runes on it, and it's all. It's actually it. a really good cover, especially in the hardback. I think it works better than the hardback. Yeah, I think uh, it looks good, yeah. Yeah, it looks really good. But it does sound generic. There's yes, so many yes, books on Amazon now. Yeah. yeah, it's just a big axe and maybe even just a black background. But readers seem to like those as well. They, some of them sell really well. It tells you what you're going to get, doesn't it? It's yeah. like you know what you're going to get then. Um, but you I, should. You should anyway. Yeah. What? What? Have you got any weapons on any of your covers? I'm trying to think... Uh, the Rise of the Wolf has obviously Robin Hood with his uh, longbow, and all of the Forest Lord books have got arrows. Oh yeah! And uh, the funny thing about that is, Wolf's Head when it came out just had a generic kind of fantasy style arrow on the cover, and I was told that was wrong. And so all the books after that had proper uh, period correct arrows. That the guy that did it that helped me was called Chris. But yeah. I'm not even going to attempt to pronounce. Do you know it's what the, I yes, mean? Yes, I know who you mean. Very, Chris, very, very Merin or something. Yeah. I, I don't know how to pronounce his name. Sorry, he's Chris. Dutch, if he's this. a nice, nice Dutch guy. He's a really he's... nice guy. He actually sent me some bows and things like that. Oh wow! Uh, because he really enjoyed those books. I can tell you. Uh, I can... I can tell you a little secret now about that. I was very jealous when you posted that you got this stuff from Chris and I actually added an archer into the cross and the curse in the hope that he'd send me something he never did. <laughs> well, if you hear this, Chris, Matthew's, Matthew's desperate for some of your arrows. I've actually got them behind me on the wall. I don't think you can even see them if we took photos or anything. Yeah, you yeah. can over there. Uh, but yeah, I've got his... So I've got those arrows... Uh, 
I don't think they're actually the ones on the cover or anything, but yeah, so that's the covers of my books. Uh, but no, not I don't have anything that's kind of, I don't want to say simplistic, but that I suppose is what it would be. I don't have anything like that as simplistic as that on the so cover. None, of, none of your druid books have got, the, the, an, uh, the they've got animals, one, haven't you? You've got an animal on the. Yeah, there's a stag on Song yeah. of the Centurion, uh, the Northern Throne. It's got ships and stuff. Uh, but the new one, uh, should I reveal the title here? You can do now, it. Go on then. You can well, it's do. called Wrath of the Picts. And Ooh. the front cover has got a Pict holding an axe. So there you go. There is one of the Druid novels will have an axe on it. It's not the centrepiece of the cover or anything, but it is an axe on the cover. Oh, that sounds good. So I was just thinking that I think... Um... One of my covers, which now has been changed, my covers have changed, so they they were changed by the publisher yeah, a while right. ago. I, I actually really liked your original. I, I did as well. Brilliant. I I did like the originals. I was looking at them the other day and thinking, I'm not sure if I like the new ones better. I think they're really good. They're really artistic. The new ones, yeah, and I think they fit really well together as a, as a group. You know, they look really and the fact nice. The other series other. a bit as well. Yeah, but I but I don't think they're as impactful. I don't think they quite grab you quite as much as the original ones and the original ones had matt bunker um the reenactor guy um who who had all his own he's got all his own gear period um, accurate and one of them has got him on the front with a spear so i think it's yeah i remember that the, i think warrior of woden um is the one i think he's standing i remember there. the big white fuzz yeah i think it's on that one anyway it's, it doesn't matter now because the, the the covers are all changed so but yes so that's with the spear but it does bring me on to the spear so um, the spear and the shield would be the two most common weapons really used in the early medieval period. So they're not the sexiest things to talk about when writing. I find that most writers end up writing about axes and bows and, and swords, obviously. Um, but the spear, if you actually went to a battle, probably 90% of the people would have spears and not much else. And I think there's good reason for it. I've actually watched, when I knew we would be talking about this, I watched some YouTube videos of a couple of guys that know their stuff. HEMA, it's called. Uh, yeah. I don't even remember what that stands for. European Martial Arts. Historical European Martial Arts. That must be it. Yeah. Um, I'll put those in the show notes as well. A link to these guys' channels on YouTube. And uh, they've got experiments with a guy with a spear fighting against a guy with a sword, basically. And then they try different configurations, holding a shield and the other one holding a shield. And... It turns out the spear is actually a really, really deadly weapon. Yeah, so although it's, yeah. it's, I mean, it's not cheap. You could even just not even have the metal point. You could just, you know, harden it by, you know, burning it in a, a fire or whatever, you know. Yeah. And fighting somebody with one of those is more effective than a sword than a battle situation. Yeah. I saw actually a, a, a guy today that was looking at it's from Scola Gladiatoria, I think. I, I think that's the same one. I can't obviously remember the, I can't watched remember, the same. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, and I can't remember the guy's was he name. The, he's kind of Scandinavian. No. no. Or is it a bald guy? Yeah, bald guy, like, like a, a, aye, that's, an uh, English guy. Yeah, I can't yeah. remember his name. But but him, we'll put him in the show notes as, yep. show notes as well. Sorry he's very good. Very good. Him. But he said he said the 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 um the numbers is basically one spearman can hold, can can fight two swordsmen. Quite accurate, accurately, or sort of, you know, effectively. It wasn't him. The, the video I'd watched, uh, they were trying different things where the spearman just had a spear and the swordman 
would get a shield and they'd try different types of shields and stuff like that. It was really, really interesting. But it just goes to show you that if you were facing a shield wall with a, a dozen men holding spears and shields and you were trying to come at them, you know, you, you really need something special to get past them. It wouldn't just be one guy attacking them with a sword. He'd soon be beaten. Yes, yes, I think that's the thing. It's like you you need to kind of it's I think when we're writing fiction, it's often you need the shield wall to be broken or somebody to make an inroad to because just having two lots of people shoving and grunting and poking spears yeah, at each other. Really, it, it doesn't get exciting. very yeah, it's not very exciting, no. So you can you can kind of describe that grind for a bit, but eventually you need something to happen. So somebody has to yeah, fall over, has to poked in the or eye somebody or... runs away or somebody, you know, the king gets poked in the eye or something happens yeah. and, and, and it, it changes the the flow of the battle, which I guess in real life is how the battles, you know, that's yeah. something does happen that, that causes them to crumble. I think often it was like the morale yeah, exactly. Crumbles. Somebody gets a fright and they maybe turn and his pal then gets a fright because he's running away and they just all end up running away and they all get stabbed in the back. Yeah, I think that's it. I think as soon as your morale's gone. Yeah. Um, so one thing, so the morale here definitely isn't gone. I'm still full of morale, but I think that um, we've probably um, said enough about weapons oh, for, no, hang on. for today. Hang oh, on. did you want to say something else? Yeah, I did, because what Go I was thinking it. about, if these spears are so good and so cheap compared to swords, Yeah. Why don't we, as authors, use our characters or have our characters walking around carrying them all the time? And the simple answer is because they're huge and heavy and completely unsuitable to travelling around with. Well, I think I think my characters probably do carry them around, but um, well, okay. you just don't, you just don't you just don't describe it very much very often. Do you? you don't just sort of like no, I, no, I've not. Mine don't really have staffs. And I did think, am I doing this right? Then am I been writing this wrong all this time? But those guys that we're talking about actually cover it in some of their videos, and they are so heavy and unwieldy. You wouldn't want to walk around, you know, travelling from, you know, hundreds of miles as they did back then, or on horseback or whatever, with this massive sword on your back. So, I think it's probably a massive sword or sword or spear. A spear. You said sword. Oh, did I? Sorry. <laughs> yes, you're really confusing things now. Yeah. Well, you know, you can yeah. put a sword on your side and your, your hip and the belt and you walk around yeah. and you don't even know it's there, really. Or as a spear, which is going to be taller than you. It's going to be long, yeah. I mean, they're going Very to be, unwieldy. Yeah, they're going to be long. And um, and as you said, they can be created quickly and cheaply as well. And I guess, you know, it's probably not like you'd have a beloved spear. Yeah. You could yeah. probably pick one up if you need to in a battle situation. Yeah, cheaply enough. And also, if you went to stay in a tavern overnight, where would you store your spear? You know, things like this. You would, and if it was a beloved spear that you had to carry around, would you really want to leave it somewhere else? Because the rooms aren't going to be high enough for a spear. But I wonder, I wonder now we're talking about it. I've never thought about this before, but we can have another conversation for another day about taverns as well and whether they were actually taverns in the early medieval period. But that's another whole question. But well, yeah, or if they did, what they were like, yeah. But um, so, but but what about because spears are effectively just a piece of wood with yeah. a bit of metal on top? Why wouldn't they just remove the metal point and put that in their backpack, and then just leave the wood? And then when they get somewhere else and they need to, you know, prepare for battle, just get another spear made up, cut down a piece of ash, and create create their own spear haft, and then just stick the you know the, the point on. That's a good point. There would probably be lots of staves and their carts and whatever that they were. The wagons that were following the army. 
yeah well you could just go and go to the forest and cut one down if you needed to but but yeah you could get a, a stake i like your 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 pun there as well that's a good point yeah but i never even noticed that Matthew. that was <laughs> hilarious <laughs> it was it was up there with with the best of your of your jokes which is why oh, i noticed thanks very much so made me sad now so uh, i think so do you think, do you think that, do you think that's enough for today for weapons yeah, well, I should probably mention that my druid carries a big staff around with him. Ah, there you go. You probably uh, should. Don't want to forget that because he's like nearly seven foot tall. And in the book, I described the staff as being about the same height. So I had to come up with some kind of... He just puts that on his horse, basically. And I'd imagine he's figured out some really clever way. I don't actually think there is a historically accurate... Well, there will be somehow, but we don't know about it. I don't think that... Uh, that they would attach these kind of things to horses. You know, but there would have been something. I think the Chinese had various things for it that we know about. But uh, yeah, my druid has this big staff and he carries it everywhere with him. They sort of sling it down beside the side of the horse, like under their leg or something. Is that how they Yeah, and I saw it? some I saw some pictures today. Uh it's kind of slung over their shoulder almost on a strap. Mm. And then they hold it in their with their foot, another strap on their foot or something. So I suppose there was ways. This oh, you, wouldn't so really... holding it vertically, holding it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. 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 And yeah I can... This wouldn't pass on to us because it would all rot away. So it'd be hard to find in the archaeology this piece of wood with a bit of leather or something wrapped around it. So, but they obviously must have had something like that. Yeah. Well, you get the um, people that are carrying um, spears and and like um, flags on poles and stuff now yeah. on horseback. They've got like a foot. Like put it something in the stirrup yeah, so and some, sort of similar. hold it, hold it in that to to keep take the weight of it basically on the stirrup, I guess. Well, they never really had stirrups as well, though, as far back as you know. Oh, not when you're not was, the druids, not the time of the yeah, druids. Yeah, no. Uh, kind of, I suppose some people must have some clever person around them would have just never get passed around everybody. Yeah, no, you just um, you just reminded me. Yeah, so I'm I'm kind of writing in different periods, and some periods have got. I've got stirrups and some haven't. So yeah. in the seventh century, I haven't got stirrups, even though some parts of the world had stirrups, but not in Britain, or at least archaeologically, we don't know that they did have. But and then later on, by sort of eighth, ninth centuries, they they did have. So <laughs> and your cowboys as well, I'm sure they did. The cowboys, cowboys, yeah. And by the nineteenth century, they definitely were. They definitely, definitely had stirrups then, yeah. Which brings me on to the final questions that we ask each week. The regular questions. The first one being, what are you, uh, oh no, what have you been watching and reading this week? Uh, what have I been watching? SWAT. SWAT. Season five. Yeah. S-W-A-T. Yeah. Special Weapons and Tactics. That's the one. With, uh, I think his name's Shamar Moore. I think. That's, um sounds very, very action and adventure. Oh, it's, yeah, very good 80s style action and adventure. A little Is bit of good? romance. Well, it's absolutely brilliant. Have you never watched it? No, never watched it. Uh, it's really good. It's a bit like the A-Team, but slightly... I mean, it's not really like the A-Team. The story's completely different, but it's that kind of daft action where it's people like... don't really get hot that much. There's not really much blood, even though folk are getting sniped in the eye and things like that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's it's you could easily watch it with like a, a teenager or something anyway. Uh it's very good, it's fast paced. Uh I really like it. Okay. Well, there you go. You heard it what? here. 
Yeah, Swat. go out and watch SWAT season five. I had to pay for Now TV, which annoyed me because you're paying for Netflix and uh, oh god, yeah, Prime got... and, and you have to pay another tenner to watch we something could... else. But I suppose a tenner's fine for a whole season of shows. It's well worth it. We could have a conversation about that, but about having to how many services you need to subscribe yeah. to to be able to see all the good TV. It's very annoying. Whereas but, you um, could just buy Kindle Unlimited and read all of my books and mine for eight pound. There you go, and yours as well. And mine too. Well, so, how, what good value is that? That's yeah, amazing. I, I think everybody should get on Kindle Unlimited and just yeah. um, read all our books. I never realised all yours were on it. That's good. I'm pretty sure they are. Yeah, I yeah. think so. I think so. Um, so I've been watching um, this last week Obi Wan Kenobi, the TV series, and that's on Disney Plus, isn't that's it? That's on Disney Plus. Which another one you have to pay for. But I got it free because for. I got a new phone this week, so. But I have to say that um, although you have to pay for it, um, it is pretty good value. They are they do they are putting out good stuff because they keep putting out new movies and things. So I think yeah. the the latest um, uh, Doctor Strange movie has come out. It's only been in the cinema like two three months ago, and it's already That's come out. Good. So every every yeah. couple of months, you know, they're bringing out you know big budget new movies that have just been in the cinema. So you feel and these original series and and things. So. Obi Wan Kenobi. If you're a Star Wars fan, worth watching. But there's so many things about it that annoy me that um, I could go into in great detail about. Well, don't mention that because I was kind of hoping Disney Plus might sponsor us. So I won't say that. Disney okay. Plus is amazing. Let's um, get Disney and Plus no to TV, sponsor us. Sky. And in fact, all of the um, TV streamers are amazing. <laughs> anyway, yeah, maybe another time we could we could talk about we'd have an whole episode about Star Wars as its action and adventure, and then we could discuss. Well, we could, but I prefer Star Trek. Oh really? Is this is this true? I just wanted to create some conflict there. I don't really like So you Star heard Wars. it here, everybody. Yeah, you, you you heard it here. If um if that's the case, we might have to end. This could be the last episode. It's maybe just because Picard is a handsome bald man, like myself. I just identify with Captain Picard more. Yeah, could be. Could than be. The Wookie. But, um, I really I really don't like Star Trek very much. So we we found somewhere where we <laughs> where we collide. Okay, on to the reading then. What have you been reading? Uh, I haven't really been reading much, Matthew. Uh, I haven't even been reading your book for a change. I'm sorry. So, uh, so it's, it's been pushed back again. But I've started to read uh, Robin Young's Brethren. Ah. Um, I read it, oh, God knows, it must be about 10 years, probably even 15 years ago. And I remember I really liked it. And it's another one of those covers where it's got, I think it's got a shielder. A horse yes, and yes, yeah. action is a good cover, especially back then. It was less generic. Uh, so I'm reading that again because we're going to have her on, aren't we? We are. We're going to be interviewing Robin um, very soon. And Robin, who also publishes under the name of Erin Young um, now, as uh, she's doing modern day thrillers. So lots of historical fiction as Robin Young and now... Very successful um, book, and I think the beginning of a series and TV series coming. Um, TV for, series as well. Yeah, yeah. So we can talk to her about that. It's not it's not been made yet, but she's. Um, I think she's a producer or executive producer on it, and um, I think it's proper you know greenlit and it's it's going ahead. And the new book, I think, it's called The Fields. So I haven't read that, but uh, maybe that's something I can try and catch up on before we interview her. Oh, that's interesting. I never knew about the TV show, but she's a good writer. I mean, Brethren is definitely. A good book. I'm enjoying yeah, it. Yeah, great. Again. So I'm looking forward to looking forward to to having her on to talk about all of her, yeah. her writing. Yeah. Um. So I've been reading. I've just started um, a book by a fellow head of Zeus um, 
author and it's called Jason and it's by Mark Knowles and it's a retelling it's the second of a series of books retelling the Jason and the Argonauts um myths and legends or story whatever and um it's a good story but definitely it's worth great great story um it's it's early days so i can't really say you know much about the the writing but it all seems you know seems good so far but yeah that sounds good the first book in series called argo so the first one's argo that came out i've seen that on amazon that rings a bell that sounds like glenn elliff's series yeah but he redid odysseus's story and it was excellent series very much worth reading right so Final question, what have you been listening to? Well, it's funny you should ask, because about two hours ago, I turned YouTube on and there was a new Megadeth song on. It's called We'll Be Back. Uh, the way I read that, it sounded like Arnold Schwarzenegger. It makes me wonder if it's anything to do with Arnold Schwarzenegger now. <laughs> but it's, it's an excellent song. If you like your old school metal, uh, you should enjoy this new Megadeth song, so it's definitely worth checking out. It's, Interesting action-oriented video as well. Ah, okay, maybe it is based on old Arnie and Terminator. Until I actually read it out loud, we'll be back. And the kind of similar accent to Arnie. <laughs> it's very similar, similar muscles accent. on me. You're sim- you're, exactly, I often mistake you. I mistake yeah. you for Arnold Schwarzenegger, often. Um I've been listening to something um, like if, if that's the you said just released very very new Megadeth song. I've been listening to something from I think like 1969 or something. I mean super old, um, but but hey, um, you? I've listened to it before. But, but I've been listening to King Crimson in the Court of the Crimson King. Have you heard? Well, this is the one with a cover with a huge nose. Yeah, the yeah. Prog rock, crazy prog rock. It's an amazing cover. It's, it's very, amazing. very eye-catching. It's an amazing album. It's a, it's a great album. But um, yeah, I don't know. I, I, I fell on. I, I listened to that because of. I mentioned before. I was listening to the Rock on Tours, and they were interviewing. Yeah. The drummer is it Bob Burford, Bruford, Bob Bruford, I think. Um, was he related to Bill Bruford then, or is that the same guy? Is that or is it Bill Bruford? Maybe I'm mistaken. Maybe it's not Bob. Maybe it's Bill Bruford. I, uh, I probably just got it wrong, but that's okay. He'll, he'll forgive me. He'll forgive me. Yeah, Bill Bruford. Yeah, sorry, sorry, Bill. Yeah, Bill Bruford, drummer. Excellent. Yeah, I was listening, listening to him, and um, it was great. You can edit that out, make me look better. Look, I'll say it again. <laughs> it made me look good. I know who he is, and I've never yeah. even believed that. Damn I've listened you. to. Damn you. Anyway, yeah. So listening to that is great. He's he's an amazing percussionist. I, I remember listening to it years ago because I like prog rock. Best Jethro Tull is kind of yeah. my thing. Uh, don't really remember enjoying King Crimson that much but I'll have to go back and re-listen because obviously tastes change over the Some years. of it some of it is a little bit too much some of it is a bit right. out there but um, it's it's definitely worth a listen so anyway that's it I think for today I think that's the that's the um, the episode so just before oh you've got something you want to say before yeah, we wrap just, up just before we wrap up the episode I wanted to mention a giveaway so we really hope you're enjoying the podcast so far If you are and you'd like to support us, please let your friends know. Spread the word by sharing our social media pages on Facebook and Twitter. And if possible, leave a review on the platform where you're listening to us. If you do any or all of these things, tag us in them or send us a message or email to let us know. And we'll put your name in a hat to win a signed book of your choice from each of us. The giveaway will close at the end of July 2022. So please get in touch before then so we can put you into the draw. Sounds like a, an offer 
Too good to miss. Too good. Well, some books from me and you. I know. So, yeah, we can... Best um, prize um, imaginable, really. <laughs> well, for people listening to this, it's probably a pretty good prize, hopefully. So that's it for today's episode, and we hope you've enjoyed it. Please let us know if you have any questions or things you'd like us to cover in future episodes. We'd love to hear from you. Um, you can contact us on Facebook page, which is facebook.com slash podcast. We're also on Twitter um, as at rock underscore swords. You can find out more about my books at matthewharfey.com and Stephen's books at stephenamackay.com. Um, and we're both also on Twitter and Facebook as well, so we'd love to hear from you. So drop by and say hello. Um, the theme music that you heard at the beginning is written and performed and copyrighted by us. And until next time on Rock, Paper, Swords, it's goodbye from me, Matthew Harfey. And it's goodbye from me, Stephen A. Mackay. And remember, whatever action and adventure you have going on in your life, be kind, stay safe, and happy reading. Mm-hmm.